I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real versus Feel, Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. On this podcast, I hope you know by now, we align what it feels like happened in round six of Super Netball over the weekend to what the stats, the feel, tell us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All In One Property. If you've purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance, and that's if it's a simple deal. All In One Property can handle every single step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is back on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, I'm glad to hear that you're safely back here on the East Coast, Aaron, and you definitely chose the right week to fly west. Mm, absolutely great time to be out west for game of the round, you'd say, and maybe even game of the year so far. And I must say that the Fever, they do put on a great game day show. And as I had been advised, their arena is loud. It's it, very loud over there. It's a great place to watch netball. It's kind of a sea of green. So, yeah, always fun to be over there. Well, I mean, last week we talked about this round promised a lot. We had matches between one and two, three and four, five and seven and, and six and eight. And didn't it deliver? We had some of the, the best matches, as you say, that we've probably seen all year and some really spectacular individual performances. Why don't you start us off with our quick stats rundown of the first game, which was the Swifts versus Vixens? So this was our first one goal decider <laughs> For the weekend. We can uh, talk about margins 60... later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, the Swifts defeating the Vixens 67 to 66. And Liz Watson was back in business after we talked about one of her uh, lesser performances last week. She had a round high 28 assists and 38 feeds. And a good ratio of those feeds coming with attempts, 30 of those 38s leading to shot attempts. She was, again, the top net point scorer for the Vixens, but it was back up near at 100 mark with 98.5. Uh, the Swifts, interestingly, only had two intercepts in the game, but these happened at key moments by Sarah Clow and Helen Housby in the fourth quarter. Uh, and another interesting thing was that the Swifts played all 10 of their players, whereas mm. the Vixens didn't make any changes. Uh, some key things we look for with the Vixens, or the key thing we look for <laughs> with the Vixens, was that they had nine games, less than 10, and once again, they lost. lost. Uh, and this was another game where we had a bit of an anomaly of the team that lost having more net points than the other team with the Vixens at 447 to 430.5 for the Swifts. So very close game statistically, which was reflected in the scoreboard. Uh, and I'll pass back over to you, Aaron, for our next game, Firebirds versus Giants. Yeah, well, this, I mean, the biggest piece of news of the round, I guess, came out of this game, which was um, the English shooter Joe Harton seemingly re-injuring her bad knee. She left the court in the second quarter and then she didn't return 
obviously sort of talked about that a little bit after the game, um, but it really did have a big impact on the scoreboard. The Firebirds got their first win, uh, 70 to 66. And I think statistically, Donnell Wallam, who of course overnight was named in the Diamonds squad for the World Cup, she was the statistical standout. She shot the most goals of any player this round, 55 from 57, which is sort of fouler territory, isn't it? Aaron, and she also had four straight super shots as well. Um, and those those came in key moments um, at, towards the end of the game too. So she also went on some pretty interesting runs in this game, I noticed. You know, she had a couple of runs of nine goals in a row. And then in the end, I think she shot 10 without a miss. Again, sort of creeping up on Fowler territory there. Um, the Giants' gain-to-goal ratio was just 53%, so only the Pies, uh, who we know lost, were lower this round at 50%. And also Jamie Lee Price, um, she had a bunch of turnovers, seven, so I think that's her highest number for the season this year. She did try absolutely everything to get her team over the line, though, so she does handle the ball um you know, so much too. Now you're going to have a look at that amazing game that you were courtside for, uh, Fever Thunderbirds. Yes, the second game of the round decided by one goal, uh, the Thunderbirds getting up over the Fever 64 to 63. Uh, and being at this game, it was like you didn't feel like the Thunderbirds were really going to get over the line in the end. The Fever just kind of kept them at bay right up until the end. And I messaged you like right after this game thinking about how long the Thunderbirds were in front for. And luckily Michael Hutchinson, our good friend, looked after this. And the Thunderbirds only led for two minutes two minutes and 16 seconds, right? So not long, right at the start and right at the end. And So it didn't have the sense I- in the arena that they were coming and coming. It wasn't one of those no, kind of games. Not really. They just hung around and you should have yeah. felt the energy get sucked out right at the end there <laughs> where they came back over the top. Uh, and so this broke a nine-game winning streak for the Fever and it coincided with their last home loss against the Firebirds in round 12 last year. And, you know, I felt like the Thunderbirds of old were potentially coming out in quarter two and quarter three that we've talked about where they were getting lots of turnovers, lots of gains but their game to goal percentage conversion was really low at 25 and 60% yeah, across ouch. these quarters. Yeah. But they came back in quarter four with five gains at an 80% conversion and got four super shots to none right at the end of the game, which really made the big difference, I think, and got them over the line. Um, and, you know, the, the last thing to note from this game was the Fever are generally pretty good at limiting their turnovers versus their opposition, but mm-hmm. they had 22 to mm-hmm. the Thunderbirds 16. So mm. I think, you know, if you're a Fever fan, you'd be okay with this because there's room yep. for improvement uh, to get over the top. Uh, and now I'll pass back to you for our last game of the round, which I am very disappointed in, which we'll discuss <laughs> later. Why? Well, I mean, I think Lightning obviously came away with the win in the Anzac Day. The first Anzac Day clash, was, which was at John Kane Arena, So, they, but they won by 15. I mean, it probably is a day the Pies would like to forget, I think. It was a pretty awful performance from them. Losing by 15, which, I mean, that probably even flatters them, that margin, as as big as it is. Um, and something else we're going to touch on later, something um, Michael, again, our friend, pointed out to us, sort of across the first couple of minutes of a couple of the quarters, the Magpies were outscoring the Lightning. I mean, you know, across the, the sort of first three and a half minutes, I think he was saying, you know, they outscored Lightning, you know, 20 to 8. 
and then something happened. They just sort of fell in a hole. So I'm looking forward to um, breaking that down with you. Penalties were notable in this game as well. Magpies had 60 and the Lightning 32. So essentially double, pretty difficult to remain in a game when you're out of play so consistently. I can't not mention Carla Pretorius. She had 10 games for the round, the most of anyone this round. Um, And I'm pretty certain, I haven't got this in front of me, but I'm pretty certain three penalties. So that gives her a pretty tidy 0.3 PG rating. Um, And then also, you know, super shots were of note as well. Collingwood were four from 15. The last couple of minutes in the game as well were were a pretty good advertisement for those people such as myself that aren't a big fan of the super shot. We saw bombs, we saw balls rolling along the ground, you know, just my favourite expression around this is just champagne netball, Aaron. Um, So, yeah, look, we'll, we'll leave it at that. A disappointing game for Collingwood, that's for sure. Now, our first deep dive for today is something we noticed in that uh, Thunderbirds West Coast game that you were at, Aaron. The Thunderbirds had 16 games uh, gains in that win, which was the equal most for the round. Um, but looking down the stats sheet, it was really clear that the gains were spread. So five players recorded them and four of those had more than one, which sort of jumped out to me. We do see in games where maybe four players will pick up gains and there might be one, say one of the key defenders will get a lot of those, the majority, and then the rest might have one or two, not, you know, not multiple ones. Is that something that the Thunderbirds are doing this year? Is that part of their resurgence and part of their wins, kind of making sure they're sharing that load? And it made me obviously think about other clubs who's really good at doing that and maybe who isn't as good at doing that. Well, I have to thank you for this, Erin, as you've allowed me to do one of my favourite things, and that is delve into other scientific disciplines <laughs> and apply their methodologies to my own. Okay. And today we're heading across to the ecological sciences and using this concept known as the Shannon Diversity Index, which is typically used to understand the diversity or the evenness of different animal species within an environment when you know how many of each animal species lives there. So you take the frequency of each species, Put it into a formula and you'll get a value between zero and one, where values closer to zero indicate evenness and values closer to one indicate you've got large diversity, right? Okay, okay. So I have to stop you and make sure that you've got your special hat on. I mean, it's not a statistical hat. It's it's a much more hardcore scientific nerdy hat. So is it a different hat or is it the same hat? Uh, yeah, let's, I mean, this is a teaching moment. It's okay. a different science hat okay. this week, I, I love suppose. it. Love it's, it. The Shannon Diversity Index. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's, it's perhaps another moment where we can talk about how fun we would be at yes, parties. Totally. Right? Um, so th- this is new to me, but it was the, the best thing I found to sort of quantify evenness or spread. And, you know, I was talking about animal species and the frequency of animals, um, but to, to use this form, we have to consider each player on a netball team as a species and the Mm -hmm. number of gains they get in a game as the frequency of that species within an environment, right? Mm -hmm. And we can understand how even or diverse the distribution of player gains is by using this calculation. So I took all games from super netball seasons and averaged the values out by each team per season to Mm -hmm. understand how even or... um, 
or, or diverse the spread of gains within a team was. Right? Okay, so I think there's probably a whole other show in defining specific players within Super Netball and International Netball by species. But we can do that another time, perhaps. Yeah. Or well, maybe we just leave that for other podcasts. You know, we're about okay. the, the, seri- the serious stuff here, Erin. So when I applied this uh, across the Super Netball seasons, mm-hmm. um, the Giants actually looked like they had been one of the better or more even performing teams with this metric as the three lowest season averages. So when we mean low, we mean even spread of game gains across a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Giants in 2018, 2019 and 2021 seasons actually had the lowest values for this metric, meaning that in those years, the way in which their players got the gains for their team was most evenly spread mm-hmm. across the team. Mm-hmm. Conversely, the maybe worst or most diverse average for this metric, so the highest, Mm -hmm. is actually coming from the Lightning this year where their gains aren't that evenly spread across the team and they're perhaps relying mostly on Dehaney and Pretorius to pick up those gains. Well, and that was definitely the case at the weekend, right, with Pretorius having those 10 and Dehaney having six. So what about the Thunderbirds then? Yeah, so I mean, if you if you go back to the lightning and look at it, it may not necessarily be a problem, um, mm, mm. And, and may not be the worst, but they're really relying on those players. So if they have a bad game, maybe those gains aren't going to come through. Uh, but yes, we are talking about the Thunderbirds here, and from a season average perspective, this is actually something they've improved upon since last year, and the distribution of their gains across their team is actually the most even it's been across all years of Super Netball. Huh. Uh, so their round six win that you mentioned was one of their better performances this year with an even spread of gains over the team, but it actually wasn't their best or most even, which actually came last round against the Vixens when they had their 19 gains spread mm-hmm. across six players. Mm-hmm. So over you know, we we maybe expect with the Thunderbirds that you've got Sterling and Wilson yep. taking on all these gains, but yep. across the last two weeks, the evenness or spread of gains across the team is perhaps a promising sign mm. that that defense isn't overly reliant on those one or two players, mm. contrasting to something like the Lightning, which mm. we talked about. Mm. So that was a very long and complicated scientific way of saying that I was right, that the Thunderbirds do spread the load gains-wise. Yes, and that is... Basically the way I do things. (laughs) Now that's actually so fascinating because as you say, if it works, there's no concern about it. But when you want to win the ball late in the game, and that's often what it will come down to, as we saw again, you know, the Fever Thunderbirds game, that one touch, that one intercept, the one time you pick up the ball can be game changing. So knowing that more players across your team can do that would be, you know, um, quite comforting. Now, our next subject today is something I've dubbed point to prove. I stole this one from one of our listeners, Amelia Barnes, who actually submitted this as a Fox Answers the Fans question. It relates to the team of the week, which is made up of the seven players with the highest net points in their position each round. We often see the same faces week after week. I'm looking at you, Janelle Fowler. But when Amelia asked us to dig into this, it got my mind ticking. So firstly, which players have been named in this team the most since it started, Aaron? Yeah, so I've focused on regular season data for this as I don't necessarily think it's fair to include finals when certain teams aren't playing, right? Agreed, you know, the agreed. grand final, they, they still have a team of the week, but it's just two teams. Yep. Uh, and we do need to note that net points came in from 2018 onwards. So that's when this sort of team of the week can be calculated from. So mm-hmm. if you look at the top five 
net point team of the week players based on the frequency that they've been in it. You've already mm-hmm. mentioned her name. Number mm-hmm. one is Janiel Fowler, mm-hmm. 43 times, which is 56% of uh, the rounds that are calculated as four. Second, you've got Shamira Sterling, 32 times and 42% of rounds. Then we have another defender, Carla Pretorius, 28 times, 37% of rounds. Mm-hmm. In number four, we have another defender, mm. Courtney Bruce, being 20 times and 26% of the rounds. Mm-hmm. And then at number five, our first uh, mid-quarter is Maddie Proud, who's also been named 20 times and 26% of mm. rounds. So that's your top five. I'm actually surprised that Fowler has only been named in 56% of the rounds, I have to say. I would have thought it, without being without being silly, I would have thought it would have been higher, to be honest. Now, I know Amelia was interested to know which, say, 10 players have the best average net points score per game. But given we pretty much know, I think um, that that would just be a list of shooters because the net points are skewed towards rewarding them see previous episodes, um, you decided to come up with what you're calling the net points super team, which I love, which is essentially the highest average scoring players in each position. Is that right? Am I explaining that right? Yeah. I don't know whether I called it the super team or you've you definitely super did. team. I don't you know. definitely did. You just, but, I, yes, my, I, my puns are rubbing off on you. I think you have interpreted that correctly, but if we, yeah, take the highest average from each position. We effectively get a overall net points team of the however long it's been going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll start at that shooting end. We've obviously got Janelle Fowler at goal shooter. She's averaging ninety four point seven net points oh, per don't game. Don't mind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, and then at goal attack, Gretel Bueda, who is at seventy one point six points. Not overly surprising mm-hmm. wing attack again not overly surprising being liz watson at 71.3 points yep uh the center we've already mentioned her as well maddie proud at averaging 73 net points a game wing defense which we've talked about how little uh they can earn on the court uh is the highest average score there is amy parmenter but listen to this relative to the <laughs> other points she's averaging 38.2 points that's the highest average wing defense score almost half to a third of what the other uh, positions are scoring. Goal defence, Carla Pretorius at 57.5 net points and unsurprisingly, Shamira Sterling at goalkeeper at 83.6 net points. Wow, wow. Pretty handy team. Yeah, Fowler, Boeta, Watson, Proud, Parmenter, Pretorius, Sterling. Formidable is uh, the word that comes to mind. Kind of interesting to note too, isn't it, that none of them are teammates per se, unless you Mm -hmm. think, perhaps we might see Watson, Proud, Parmenta, obviously all named in the Diamond Squad last night, whether we might see them in the same team, but I'm not sure. We probably might see two of them in the same team, I think. Yes. Um, Now, our final subject for this show is fits and starts. And we touched on this earlier when we talked about the Collingwood game. Again, I have to credit my friend Michael Hutchinson with this one, which is about how well Collingwood started in the first two quarters, especially of their game against the Lightning on Anzac Day, but then sort of spectacularly fell in a hole each time. So in the first quarter, the Magpies started five to one in the first sort of two and a half minutes. And then Lightning scored 20 to seven in the rest of the quarter. In the second, the Pies, again, it was five to one by about was a three and a half minute mark, I think this time. And then the Lightning then went on to score 19 to 10. So it didn't really happen after halftime, but it was very pronounced in the first. 
is this starting well in the opening minutes and then falling away something that Collingwood often does or was it a one-off against the Lightning? And I wonder too, are there other sides that kind of jump out of the blocks within quarters and then fade away? And then I guess alternatively on the on the other side, um, you know, are there teams who can recover from, from bad starts or can just sort of chug along and be consistent right across the 60 minutes, which presumably is what everyone is looking for? Yeah, that's really what you want. Um, and so for this, we've decided to focus just on this year's data because it's, I guess, very, very specific to how a team is going yep. within a season. And so what I've done here is look at the score differential for a team in the first half of a quarter and then the score differential in the second half of a quarter. And then when you look at the difference in these two values, so this is irrespective of like the the whole game score, you just look at the difference in these two values, it gives you an idea of how much better or worse a team performed relative to their opposition in Mm -hmm. the first and second half of a quarter. Mm -hmm. So for example, this weekend, the Magpies' first quarter against the Lightning has the worst negative differential of the season from the first to the second half of the quarter. For for them, for them. Yeah, uh, for everyone. For everyone, everyone. okay. Yeah, so that that was a minus 13 between their margins in the first and second half of the quarter. Mm -hmm. And so the closer to zero you are here would dictate consistency. Mm Mm-hmm. Positive values mean you're picking things up in the second half of the quarter and negative values mean you're dropping off in the second half of the quarter or vice versa with respect to starting fast versus slow. Yeah, so what I'm talking about, what what we saw was negative values from the pies in those first two quarters. So I understand, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And that negative 13, one of the worst or the worst we've seen across the season. Yep. So, yeah, in a couple of those key quarters on the weekend, there were large negative values for them. Um, mm-hmm. But to get an idea of how a team's going across the season, we can take these values from each quarter and average them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of variation in these numbers, uh, but the average gives us a, a broad indication of how a team's going. Mm-hmm. And so the Magpies, perhaps thanks to this recent game, are actually the worst here. And they're okay. dropping off on average by almost a whole goal mm-hmm. in the second half of quarters relative mm-hmm. to their opponent. Mm-hmm. So in a practical context, if you're playing against the Magpies, you can expect to actually drag a goal back in that second half of the quarter mm-hmm. on average. Mm-hmm. The Firebirds are actually right in the middle here. They get okay. exactly zero for this average differential value, meaning that the scoring patterns in their games, this is not to say that they're drawing out quarters, but the scoring patterns in their games have been pretty consistent from the first to the second half of quarters. Mm -hmm. The team that's sitting at the top of this with a positive differential is the Thunderbirds. They have the biggest at an average of plus 1.6, meaning they are maybe starting slowly in quarters or, you know, staying level in quarters and then coming home strong and getting one to two extra goals in the second half of a quarter. Wow. That is, yeah, it's really fascinating to think sort of those there's a game within a game there within each of those quarters. And I'm, I'm really confident that something that the super netball coaches would definitely be all over and understand sort of weaknesses and, and strengths of their opponents. Now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, all in one property real versus field listeners know by now that all in one property can help home buyers with conveyancing loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when purchasing a home. And the best bit is you can use all the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. 
And for a limited time, if you reach out to All In One Property and mention the podcast, you'll receive 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 0399824491 to discover all you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. It's that time, which is Fox Answers the Fans. This question, um, which comes to us from Adam Kay, goes to what we've been talking about a, a little bit as a theme this year, and that is how close the league actually is. After noting the Swifts versus Vixens game was tied up at halftime, Adam, who goes by ads086 on Twitter, would like to know essentially how common that is. How many times have we seen it all tied up, as commentators love to say, at half times of matches this season, Aaron? And what about for other quarters? Are they equally are they equally tight? Is it is it a tighter year than we've previously seen? Yeah. So with this we can actually look across all of ANZ Championship Supernetball oh, cool. data. Yeah. And we ended up with a total of 940 matches to consider and so i decided to look at each quarter break how many times or the the percentage of matches where it was tied up and so okay it's actually a bit rarer than i thought right. at the first quarter break we've got 62 out of 940 matches which is 6.6 percent not much at matches. all yeah right no quarter two it's it's pretty much the same 61 times so at half time we're tied in about six and a half percent of matches mm-hmm uh, quarter three, it drops off a little bit to 40 times, which is 4.3% of matches. And tied at the end of four quarters, we've had 43 times, which is 4.6% of matches. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like not as common as perhaps I thought, particularly earlier on in the game. Yeah. As far as how this goes by year, sort of looked at how many quarters ended with a tied score each year relative to the number of matches. And as people have been alluding to, 2023 so far has actually had the highest rate of ties right. at the end of a quarter, yeah. with this happening eight times across 24 matches. Uh, 2021 and 2020 had the next highest relative number of ties at quarter breaks. So um, recent years, particularly this year, have been quite tight. Well, there you go. So Adam was bang on. It is as close in real as it feels in those matches. I know I say this every single week, but we do really love getting your questions and suggestions. So please shoot them through to us on Twitter or Instagram using the real V feel hashtag, and we will file them away and hopefully answer all of them for you. Now, Erin, it's been a relatively uneventful couple of weeks (laughs) in netball. So I'm interested to hear what you have for us with your Della Bluntly segment today. Well, we tend to focus on Super Netball here on the podcast, of course, but given the Australian Diamond squad was named this week, I can't resist putting in my two cents worth. I guess my main observation would be around the conservatism that national coach Stacey Marinkovic and her selectors, Anne Sargent and Michelle Wilkins, have shown in selecting the entire gold medal winning side from the Commonwealth Games last year, minus Gretel Buetta, of course, plus seven players from the existing Diamonds wider squad, as well as Matilda Garrett. I know fans and journos like me, I might add, we love a shock inclusion when teams are announced. But given the Diamonds have an overflowing trophy cabinet right now, it makes perfect sense to stick with a winning formula. The only material change to the squad has been the addition 
position of Adelaide Thunderbird defender Matilda Garrett, who comes in at the expense of New South Wales Swift Maddie Turner. I think there was a logical choice too, and she does look like she could slip into the team with relative ease if there were a reason, I guess, for the, the four defenders, one of them wasn't there. And regardless of super netball form, I think the likes of Sasha Glasgow and Alice Teague-Neal from the West Coast Fever were never really a genuine chance to be named. I mean, they haven't been inside the Diamonds ecosystem and we're talking about a World Cup happening within a couple of months. And those two players in particular were probably very, very unlikely to push out existing squad members as good as their form has been this year. I kind of like that Stacey Marinkovic didn't just name players in the squad as a reward for playing well domestically. She's not a sweet shop owner trying to keep everyone happy, Aaron. She has one job and one job only right now, and that's to win the World Cup in Cape Town. So bring it on. I'm very, very happy with that team that she named, Aaron. I I would agree with you. I think, yes. like, you look at last year, they won absolutely everything, and it's like, you know, don't change a winning formula. Yep, but De- definition of insanity. See, we will see when the World Cup arrives how this goes. Now, uh, we've um, touched on this very quickly, but it's now time to check in how your shot in the dark went for this round, Aaron. Once again, you were looking so very good for your prediction. So for this round, it was that the total margin across the round's games would be less than 20. So you must have been writing the score of the last match pretty hard. So... We've gone over the results. So with three games complete, the total margin was six. Happy days. The Swifts had won by one. The Firebirds had won by four. And of course, the Thunderbirds got up in that last gasp by one. So all you needed, Aaron, was for the margin in the Anzac Day clash to be 13 or less. And what was the margin, Aaron? Uh, look, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I was... <laughs> Setting after those first three games, I was like setting up the parade for being backing on the winners list. But you know, a fifteen goal margin, which rarely happens, very pushed rarely, the total, pushed the total differential of twenty one goal uh, to twenty one goals. My prediction was less than twenty, so this one was close. But it ended up as the fourteenth lowest total margin for a round, uh, uh, you know, across Super Netball history. Yep. It, it was the third closest round for this season still. Okay. Uh, with round two having a total differential of 12 goals being the closest so far this year. And I know you're going to tell me that there was a drawn yes, half Yes, that doesn't count. There. You can't, you gotta, um, you're going to scrub out round two. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, after the first three games with an, with an average differential of two goals per game, yeah. this round was actually sitting, you know, number two yeah. on the list for closest yep. based on average. And it just, you know, disappeared. <laughs> With that one game. <laughs> I was I, I was thinking of you as it was unfolding, but sorry, close is not close enough. <laughs> what are you going to go with this round? So I've learned from my lesson okay. and I'm going to keep it simple this week and go back to an old favourite just to try and get back on the board. And okay. we've noted that the Vixens have had less than 10 gains in recent losses and yep. that's not good for them. Yep. So this week they get back on the horse with plus 10 gains against the Firebirds and back in the wins column. Real nice and easy one to get over the line this week. And an easy one for our listeners to keep a track of as the game unfolds too. So, I mean, I like that you're playing it safe. You've got to get your wins where you can. I do, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans questions using hashtag RealVFeel. 
All-in-One Property is a dedicated service provider. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all of the services or just some. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.